Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet author Rebecca Solnit, journalist Celeste Headley, and author Sarah Ramey. These authors have written and narrated audiobooks about what it takes to come up against entrenched systems and create the space needed to live the fullest life possible. Go behind the mic and hear what it was like for them to record their audiobooks. Plus, find out who was told that she pronounces some words like an opera singer. Hmm. Enjoy. Hey, this is Rebecca Solit. I have been writing about feminism, about violence against women for a long time, and I felt after all this that I'd never really gotten at what it does to you and what it did to me. I had talked about statistics and probabilities and laws and, you know, cultural circumstances and things, but I was, as a young woman, so surrounded and menaced and constantly badgered by sexual harassment on the street. It wasn't just annoying. It often felt like this could turn into violence, this could turn into rape, this could turn into death. And it was happening in the violent early 80s. So I wanted to capture what it did to you. Henry David Thoreau once said, I would not write about myself so much, knew I anyone else so well. I knew myself, and I knew what the details and texture of that trauma were. I'm probably known to a lot of people as an activist, and for me that's meant addressing the fact that a lot of our problems are not personal. Sometimes it's not that we're depressed because we're not making the right adjustments. It's because the world is kind of depressing and we need to transform it together. And we get told so often that we need to resolve everything through personal endeavor, and if we haven't, we've failed. To live in a world where lots of people want to torture and murder women like you and pop culture and movies and entertainment and porn are full of lascivious delectation in your degradation and humiliation and maybe even destruction and murder really does something to you. And it's not your job to adjust to it. It's not your job to accept it. It's not your job to overcome it. It's a big social construct that needs to be transformed as a collective social project. We need a different society, one that doesn't hate women. It's a miasma, an atmosphere, an ominous presence everywhere in all our lives. And I don't feel like we've talked about that enough. So I decided to talk about it with myself as the specimen to consider. Recording an audiobook is, first of all, humiliation. You run across all the sentences you wish you'd rewritten, all the things the proofreader missed, all the things you're worried are maybe not clear. But also, it requires reading and enunciating your own words. And that task is harder than it seems when you're somebody who can carry on a normal conversation. You need to get it right. You need to nail it. You need to keep a consistent tone. So it's a major endeavor. I did it. And the reward was then I was done. I was actually walking along with my friend Astra Taylor the other day, or maybe it was Sam Green, and we're laughing about people who live in books because we learn all these words without learning how to pronounce them. I can spell almost everything I know, but so many of them I don't know how to pronounce. And there's people whose work I adore. I thought the poet was Philip Levine, 
and I had to re-record so it was Philip Levine. So there's this whole other layer of difficulty proceeding through the process of turning the written into the spoken, which is part of why I always say written and spoken are different languages. Something that happened to me when I first started doing public readings is that a different voice came out of me than the voice that I used when engaged in conversation. It was a little bit softer. It felt like it came from a place a little bit further inside. It's the voice I'm pretty sure I read this book in. And I kind of like that voice, but I still put on a little bit more armor when I have a conversation. And the voice comes from someplace a little bit different. So it was interesting because I do use it in readings and often switch back and forth from the speaking to the reading voice. But to do it for the hours of this was kind of interesting and required a lot of hot water to keep it going. And who's my dream narrator? It's such an interesting question because it's like, should it be somebody who sounds like me or should it be somebody I want to sound like? I mean, this book would be ridiculous if it was read by Nick Cave, but I just heard him and I would kind of love to have one of my books read by Nick Cave. I think Britt Marling, who's quoted in this book, might be an amazing reader. I can't say Emma Watson because I have an American accent and she has a British one, although she could probably fake it. Actually, Gia Tolentino, we were just talking about, and she read her own audiobook, and I called her the Lauren Bacall of Filipina-American feminists, and God, it would be fun if Gia read the whole thing. I actually love road trips, and I'm perfectly happy to have bad country radio stations or silence when I pass through a landscape. But my partner really loves to listen to something, and we had a really amazing drive listening to Neil Gaiman himself read The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And it's that kind of double existence where on the one hand we're driving from Idaho back to San Francisco, on the other hand he was describing this supernatural English landscape, partly kind of quaint and local, a child's landscape of a house and a lane and another house and partly falling into other worlds and monsters and demons and supernatural things swimming out at you. And I do love that kind of being in two places at once. I once drove back from New Mexico with my nephew when he was really young with the Lord of the Rings all the way through getting us from Santa Fe back to the Bay Area. I also remember listening to Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God, which got me all the way from Los Angeles to San Francisco, which was a pretty tiring drive to do almost without stopping, but she was almost done. And so I sat in the driveway for 20 minutes, even though I was exhausted, even though I really wanted to go upstairs and wash up, because it was so gripping a novel and the reader was so good. So where do I like to read? The short version is everywhere. Although then I think about once upon a time when I had a Chevy pickup truck, when I had such great adventures in the Nevada desert, I was writing about the photographer Richard Mizrak, who calls his desert photographs cantos in reference to Dante's Divine Comedy, which of course is written in cantos. So I decided I would read the Divine Comedy in its entirety, not just the Inferno, but the Purgatorio and the Paradiso. I got a great translation. And I finished reading that book on a hot day in the deep desert in the shade of my pickup truck that was the only shade available for where I was, just kind of lounging on a sleeping mat on the ground. And as I finished the very last word, this beatific Franciscan friar, who was a great activist and a great friend, 
pulled up as if directly out of the Paradiso. So that was a good reading experience. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. One day long ago, I looked at myself as I faced a full-length mirror and saw my image darken and soften and then seem to retreat, as though I was vanishing from the world, rather than that my mind was shutting it out. I steadied myself on the doorframe just across the hall from the mirror, and then my legs crumpled under me. My own image drifted away from me into darkness, as though I was only a ghost fading even from my own sight. I blacked out occasionally and had dizzy spells often in those days, but this time was memorable because it appeared as though it wasn't that the world was vanishing from my consciousness, but that I was vanishing from the world. I'm Celeste Headley. My book is titled Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. I started writing this book really just to help myself. I reached a point in my life where I was getting sick, really sick constantly, and just angry all the time and exhausted all the time. And I realized that the solution I thought was going to help, i.e. making more money, actually was making it worse. And so I had to look for other causes and therefore other solutions. And that's what started all the research, and the book came from that. If I had to describe the experience of recording my audiobook in one word, that word would be focused. Because you really do have to be focused on one word at a time. There's no scanning through lines like most of us do when we're reading. Even your own words. I mean, I don't remember. I wrote this years ago. (laughs) I don't remember how I phrased everything. And you really have to focus in on every line to read it in a way where other people are going to understand it. I mean, people are hearing this book only through their ears. They have no text or pictures or anything else to help them. So all of their understanding of what you're saying, and in this case, some complex topics, has to occur orally. So my read has to be precise. There was no word or phrase I didn't know how to pronounce. It was made note that I pronounce some things like an opera singer, (laughs) like I say the river Tiber, which is how you say it in Italian, instead of Tiber. And I certainly had to learn how to pronounce some people's names. But other than that, I try not to write stuff (laughs) that is smarter than I am. (laughs) I try to make sure that whatever I'm writing on the page reflects my actual intellectual capacity. (laughs) I want people to hear how passionate I am about this topic. Not necessarily because that reflects on who I am. They don't know me, but because I hope it gets their attention. I hope to hear someone this dedicated and excited and invested in an issue also catches their ears and catches their attention and makes them sit up and listen. My dream narrator might be Aisha Tyler, Aisha Tyler is an actress who does a ton of different things, but she voices Lana on the FX animated show Archer, and she has a gorgeous voice, but she also just always sounds like herself. So that would be my dream narrator. She's alive.
I have a meditation chair, this chair that's designed to make you comfortable with like your legs crossed and it is so comfortable. And it also happens to be my favorite place to read just because it's really comfy and it's right next to the window. In any case, it's the best place to read. To listen to audiobooks, I, like everyone else, usually listen to audiobooks when I'm on a long trip. So I will plug in my headphones and listen to an audiobook if I'm having to drive somewhere a long way or take a long train trip or if I'm on a plane and I want to zone out. I much prefer to listen to an audiobook on the plane than to watch a movie, for example. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. We answer work emails on Sunday night. We read endless articles about how to hack our brains to achieve more productivity. We crop our photos and use filters before we post them on social media to earn approval. We read only the first couple paragraphs of the articles we find interesting because we don't have time to read them in their entirety. We are overworked and overstressed, constantly dissatisfied, and reaching for a bar that keeps rising higher and higher. We are members of the cult of efficiency, and we're killing ourselves with productivity. Hi, this is Sarah Ramey, author of The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness. I wrote my book because I needed this book. I really needed something that told this story that was so difficult to tell one-on-one to somebody else because it was so heavy and it was so dark. I needed to come up with a way to make it into a readable narrative that was fun is the wrong word, but that could take people into the story so that they could really understand it and understand all the people like me that I talk about that I met. There's this whole invisible world of womies and momies and homies of people just like me that is quite difficult to see unless you're brought into it with stories. And so that's why I started writing it. And it really became a way for me to do the most important thing that I think people like me need, which is to be seen, to be visible. So I was inspired, this is true, in the very beginning of the, what I would call the health journey, which is like when I I had been going on kind of like batted around from doctor to doctor to doctor. That's not really, for me, the health journey. It's really when you start to learn more about what's actually going on in your body that makes sense, like an accurate description that's not, you know, you're just a sad lady that needs to go to psychotherapy. In my case, the beginning of sort of the opening of the door of the wardrobe was this book called The Yeast Connection. (laughs) It's this book that is all about candida, which is the precursor book to people who are really writing about the microbiome, which is something we take quite seriously now in modern medicine. But in the sort of early aughts, it was the first book that I read where I was actually being described back to myself. And I could not believe it because I had spent years being told that Everything that I was saying was either not real or I was making it up or it wasn't serious or all of these things. But it was called The Yeast Connection, and it was kind of cheesy, and it had terrible illustrations. So I thought that in the beginning, I was like, I think I'm going to write like a a chic (laughs) version of this that's for ladies and that will be sort of about intestinal health and will 
be this nice, accessible way to talk about your gut health that doesn't feel so embarrassing to read while you're riding on the subway. <laughs> that really is how I started thinking about it. And I came up with the title of the book, The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness, because when you start going down the rabbit hole of like reading alternative health books, it's a very unbeautiful world. And so I wanted to rebrand the whole thing as something that felt clean and nice and ladylike. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fun. This is because, as you learn in the Ladies' Handbook for a Mysterious Illness, I have spent the greater part of the last 17 years either housebound or bedridden or just all different degrees of extremely sick. And that is obviously terrible, but it's so limiting in your experience of life. You just stop having experiences. Your only experience is, you know, the four walls of your bedroom and your cat and your mom. And and that really does start to take a toll. And so for me, now that I'm doing at least better enough to participate in life, <laughs> doing this is honestly, it's actually one of the first things that I've sort of done in my stepping back into the world. And that's been such a gift to me. I realized I had trouble pronouncing narrator. I keep saying narrator, but it's actually narrator. Did I say it wrong again? <laughs> narrator. Okay. I still can't pronounce it. I am proud that I was able to do it at all. I was so glad to just be able to do this, to have the energy to do even the part of it that I was able to do. I wasn't able to record the whole thing. And I'm just so glad that I was able to do the bits of it that I was. I am just excited for listeners who see themselves in what we're talking about here, who are Womies, women with mysterious illnesses, or Momies, men of mysterious illness, or Fwomies, the friends and family of women and men with mysterious illnesses. I'm just excited for them to see themselves because it really is an invisible kind of secret society. As I say, so secret that not even the members know that they're in it. And so I am excited for people who are not used to seeing themselves reflected back to see themselves in a story. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook and I didn't have the amazing Eileen Stevens to help me out, I would definitely cast a man. I think it would be very fun to have Ian McKellen, Alan Cummings, some, you know, great British or Scottish, you know, thespian to read the ladies' handbook for a mysterious illness. I think they could do great justice to the gravity and the, the darkness of the book. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was the Harry Potter series. I just listened to the whole thing, or actually I didn't get the, all the way through. I think I'm on book, maybe book five. But I've been listening to Harry Potter and uh, uh, knitting, and that has been <laughs> quite nice. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is my couch. So when you have really bad pelvic pain, it's quite difficult to find anywhere to sit for a very long time. And I finally found a couch. And so it's very exciting for me to sit on this couch because I actually can. And so I sit and I knit and I listen to Harry Potter. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. 
Dear listener, there may exist a graceful and elegant way to begin one's gynecologic and colorectal memoir, but it never does spring to mind. Let us start then with a story. We can travel back to where it all began and for a moment leave the particulars behind. That sounds much nicer, lovely even, considering it all began so many years ago with a cool, luxuriant swim in Walden Pond. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash nextlisten.